Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast, but uh, I guess you probably already knew that. What if there was a war raging for a million years, but it was kept a secret? It's a question that Sarkis never considered. He's born as an upper middle class man living in Prime City during the so-called millennia of peace. As far as he knew, or as far as anybody knew, humanity has no army, no weapons, and no wars. The people of Earth had been expanding into the stars as long as anyone remembered, free of conflict, while the techno-king and his royal cabal enriched themselves in the backs of their labor. It was as it always had been. Then, Sarkis died. Unbeknownst to him, an app he used every single day of his life hijacks his consciousness and uploads it into a synthetic engine of war known as a sleeve. Along with countless others, he's been conscripted into the Undying Legion, charged with fighting a secret, unending war in the name of humanity. Their minds stolen, uploaded into war machines. They fight a secret war to preserve humanity. My new book, The Invisible War, comes out February 20th via Atheon Books and is now available for pre-order on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. If you like what we do here on the show, consider supporting us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash lionsledbydonkeys. Just $5 per month gets you every regular episode early, access to our community Discord, a digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, as well as its audiobook, read by me, and over five years of bonus content. By supporting the show, you support us and allow us to keep our show as it has always been ad-free. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast, the only podcast to, to listen about idiots in history dying horribly. I'm Joe, and with me, as always, is Tom in the content caves of London. Hey, at least my coffee doesn't have snot in it. Yeah, right before we hit the record button, I sneezed directly into my own coffee, um, which is fine. I don't... It, it, have you ever? I drink a lot of fucking coffee. I'm sure you know that. We've yeah. hung out enough for me to, for you to see me mainland cop mainland coffee directly into my body. It's two a.m. or two a.m. two p.m. here, <laughs> and I have been up since like nine, and I have been drinking cup after cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I don't need this one at this point. It's just habit. <laughs> it's also very cold, so I don't really want to drink anything other than hot coffee at the moment mm-hmm. i'm not a tea guy i can't get into tea so it's either coffee or water why don't you just get like decaf coffee i'm gonna choose to believe you didn't just suggest that oh shut up i eh, decaf coffee is for pussies i don't care sometimes i want a coffee and i don't want the caffeine that would be like smoking a cigarette without nicotine in it what's the point i mean yeah but like sometimes coffee is just nice to drink Fair, but none of the coffee you've you've drank my coffee. It's not good. Yeah, like, true. You you drink it with the with for the caffeine. It's not like I have expensive coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know where to find good coffee here. Like I go to a grocery store, and it's like you have the instant coffee, and you have like these brands that are just like coffee. <laughs> like, but it's spelled really weird because it's in Dutch. Yeah, it's just coffee with a K or or whatever. Or like, um, I mean, I'm not like, I don't think brand name makes good coffee or anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously not like Starbucks coffee. I'll just taste like burnt asshole to me. Starbucks sucks so much. 
Dunkin' Donuts coffee is significantly better. And uh, yeah, Tim Hortons coffee is better than that. But can't get that here. Uh, I mean, there is Dunkin' Donuts in, in the city center where I'm not riding on a tram for 20 minutes to get a cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I'm not insane. <laughs> Dunkin' but, Donuts. But at the same time, I'm not going to buy like a two kilo sack of coffee that's just called coffee fine ground like what kind of coffee is it fuck you it's coffee just get why don't you just do the simple thing buy a cheap grinder on like online and then just like grind your own beans and just get a french press it just eliminates so much of the hassle that is my plan uh however i am still attempting to get everything i need for my kitchen uh as i have just moved and every time i find something uh, like I buy something like, fuck, I need like three more things. So at this point, I have just stopped looking um, <laughs> because <laughs> moving is so expensive and annoying. I just yeah. like, you know, it would be really nice right now. A coffee grinder. Shut the fuck up, Joe, and enjoy your goddamn instant coffee. How about that? Why don't you just be a real man and just like put the beans in your mouth and chew them? Exactly. Uh, you you chew them and then you just pack them into your lip like it's chewing tobacco. Yeah, just like it's dip, but like n- actually nicotinated uh, or caffeinated dip is a great idea. It has to exist. I'm looking this up. I'm looking this up. I, I, I know pouches that are coffee that you put in your lip do exist. I know those exist. I've seen them before, but I don't know if you can get a caffeinated plus n- with nicotine pouch i feel like that breaks some kind of law like uh, like a four loco for your lip <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you can uh caffeine pouches and dip from grinds yeah I see those are the ones that i've seen i'm 99 sure those are just coffee oh, gee, 50 milligrams what like so uh i'm kind of uh, slightly obsessed with the idea of snooze because like snooze has become like a really popular thing over here and like it's just like the kind of scandinavian like pre-packed mm-hmm. it's not like actual tobacco it's like nicotine salts or some shit like this and like any i see loads of videos of people trying them for the first time and, and it's like oh my god it's like being on drugs and i'm like i smoke so much i probably will put it in my mouth and be like i don't feel anything <laughs> catch me if, if you are a patron you're hearing this before the live show catch me on stage you know with 12 dip pouches like in my mouth i uh i'm going to invent the same thing but just for meth um <laughs> you, you, <laughs> it's gonna rot a hole directly through your lip in uh in record time chewable meth i mean to be fair we've been informed that uh while we are allowed pyrotechnics for the stage for the live show uh, I we're not allowed to smoke on stage, and I don't know if we're allowed to vape. So, like, it'll be the only show that will be sponsored by Nicorette patches. <laughs> That's gonna kill all three of us. <laughs> and since this this episode is actually coming out after the live show, if if we have died, uh, remember us. So, Tom, on this show, we really like to talk about monarchs, royals. All manner of inbred, warmongering, crown-wearing dipshits getting murdered, don't we? Yeah, hang them all, no gods, no masters. There is no authority but you. But me, specifically. (laughs) No, you the listener, you listening to this, don't listen to any sense of authority other than yourself. I choose to believe the first thing you said. Um, (laughs) 
This is how I start my cult. <laughs> I can finally retire in in my uh my compound in in the in the Dutch wilds. It'll be the only sexless cult ever. Yeah, pretty much. Now, um, what if I told you about a battle where three of these these crown wearing dipshits all died at once? Oh fuck yeah! This is so cool. So before we start, are we talking Habsburgs or before? Same general era. Okay, so there, there's a high likelihood that all three of these people are also cousins. No, 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 no. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that point. Okay, one okay. of them is European. One of them is European. Okay. So this story all starts with the expanding Portuguese empire setting its sights on Morocco, with them getting a foothold in 1415, slowly expanding from there over the course of the 1400s under King Alfonso V, who was given the nickname The African. Um, now this is really, really common. Uh, it's a common nickname, uh, type of, uh, system like, you know, Scipio Africanus in Rome. Mm-hmm. It was not his last name. Uh, <laughs> it'd be funny if it was, <laughs> you know, th- this type of thing happens. Uh, he was nicknamed the African for his conquest in Africa. I will always think that's funny though. Um, also, also I think, you know, the Portuguese don't get enough shit for the colonialism that they did, you know. Everyone is like, you know, Britain, Belgium, you know, the kind of, the big hitters. Portugal were also terrible. Portugal and Spain, generally, like, when everybody's talking about, like, horrific, violent imperialism, they're just, like, sitting on, they're, like, sitting on the sidelines, like, man, I really hope nobody brings us up, which is astounding to me. Um, and I think that um, it re- I, th- I think it really does come down to like what is generally considered like West Western centricism or, or or like Western centric thought when you think of the more immediate, more um, modern era type things. Do you think about, say, for example, American imperialism or British imperialism? things of that nature, they jump out in people's minds, maybe because they learn about them in school, but almost almost always because it happened more recently. Like, because there were, there were still countries getting independence from uh, the UK into the 70s, like 1960s and 70s. I mean, but also, same for fucking Portugal and Spain. But, yeah, Portugal was literally fighting a bush war in Africa until the soldiers rebelled against the military dictatorship and ended it. Mm-hmm. We're, to- we're, talk- it? we're talking about the difference between... Uh- Bread and butter and cheese colonialism and small plates colonialism. <laughs> yeah, top tapas colonialism. Would you like your uh, a your colonialism to be delivered to you in a series of varying small plates? And I also think a lot of it has to do with people. There's specific countries in the world that people uh, are comfortable hating. Mm-hmm. Which, and I'm not saying they're wrong for for hating certain countries and their histories, but like it is considered much more okay and acceptable to hate um like british history because you know more people celebrate independence day from the british empire than fucking anywhere else on earth yeah 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 and you know not to mention all of the crimes mm-hmm. um but it's not considered this like of course everybody like hates spain and portugal for their fascist and military dictatorships which also happened very recently but they don't realize how much horrific amount of damage they caused throughout the world and 
I don't know why that is. Maybe because they speak a slightly different language than English, so it's harder for people to read up on it, where you can just crack open pretty much any book and read, like, ah, we've opened the the, the categories of horrific British crimes. Yeah. But it's like, I think it's also, like, the way that most people also maybe not won't think of, like, Belgium, because, like, uh, the Iberian uh, colonial powers and, like, people like Belgium, like, a lot of their power was centered in Africa. So like that story is like a little bit more forgotten when you look at someone somewhere like Britain, where their empire was so pervasive across the world, but also affected like a lot of countries like the U S and Canada. So we have English language sources of that. Whereas like you think of like Portugal, a lot of it is in, you know, central and South America. Well, it's Brazil um, and Africa and Spain is like, like you said so far back that people don't think about it either yeah i mean and likewise in comparison like the dutch um there's there's people that live here that don't really understand the the colonial ghosts of like the dutch empire through the voc like i literally heard um a dutch guy the other day when he's like you know we have so many indonesian and surinamese restaurants in the netherlands because you know they moved here for economic opportunities i was like oh that's it Mm. no no other reason yeah okay cool Mm -hmm. can't think of anything else that ever happened um and you know if you look into those kind of things like it's very easy to to miss it and specifically in the case of belgium like King Leopold II is legitimately one of the worst people to ever live, but it's Belgium. Like nobody thinks of Belgium as like an imperial power, and Belgium themselves did a very like a lot of heavy lifting separating themselves from the what the king did because like oh it was his own personal property. Uh, okay, what about Belgian Congo that existed after the Free State and that like all of the the fucking blood money and extraction of resources that occurred in uh, like. Belgian Congo and the, the the Congolese Free State built half of Brussels. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, yeah, now, no no need to talk about that. Yeah, Brussels is just now no, known for uh, chocolate and pedophiles. <laughs> yeah, don't forget uh, like diamonds in Antwerp, I guess. Yep. Uh, that, that's all I got. Um, anyway. Though, I guess this goes back even further than than you know this in the context of this episode when the caliphate took over the iberian peninsula and succeeding dynasties of you know invasion invaders from northern africa see lisbon but we're we're not going to go back that far anyway the portuguese conquest of morocco continued until around the 1500s the mid 1500s when the moroccans would begin a slow but steady reconquest now this brings us to the one of the main characters for this episode Don Sebastian, or King Sebastian I of Portugal, a man who had risen to the throne at the ripe age of three. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, now, at the point that he became boy king, the Moroccan reconquest had been going on for around 10 years. Sebastian was, in short, a very strange kid and man, even for his era. He was raised as an orphan because his dad died 18 days before he was born. His mom, Johanna of Spain, popped him out and then fucked off to Madrid, where she'd serve as regent for her father, Emperor Charles V, and later for her brother, King Philip II. Other than the day of his birth, she would never see him again. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. Literally just like, boop, okay, bye. Um, and like, even, 
even in the weirdest history of like royals where you know there's no real parenting going on that's done by like the assistants or whatever Mm -hmm. that is really weird yeah I mean, maybe his dad would have raised him a little bit if he hadn't died, but like, who knows? Yeah. He weighs, he, he was raised effectively by the royal palace and educated by Jesuit priests. Oh God, uh, that's, a, that's a red flag right there. It's not good. The priests educated him mostly on how he should just continue to expand Portugal and also hate Muslims. And one of those things actually qualifies him to be possibly the future prime minister of the Netherlands. But, you know, in the essence of being a king, there's a lot of things missing here. Um, not to, like, and when you think about how do you think a Jesuit priest in this era is educating a kid who, I mean, who was king, crusades, right? Just going to connect everything to the crusades. And that's exactly what they did. They like, you know, y- your whole goal should one day to launch a crusade and complete the Portuguese conquest of all of Northern Africa. So that's what he grew up believing. And he also violently hated women. And I'm not even talking about like the baseline for the era of man that he was. I'm saying he hated women so fucking much, even for a man back then that nobody would marry their daughter to him, even for political power. Jesus Christ. All, all and I, he was the king of Portugal. All I gotta say is, mommy issues. <laughs> like, I don't know how fucked up an individual has to be. For someone like, you know, it would be really nice for our daughter to get us, like, political connections as queen of Portugal or whatever, but, like, mm. guy's a dick. Yeah. We're not gonna do that to our kid. I mean, at this point of history... That is what noble daughters exist to do. Mm-hmm. And even then, people are like, nah, I'd rather marry off to some duke or whatever. Yeah. Like, we'll settle for a lower connection. Mm-hmm. Sebastian pretty much left the whole running an empire thing to anyone else but him. Because the only thing that he wanted to do was fight a war against North African Muslims. So he spent his time riding around with knights in Morocco trying to start shit launching raids, and things of that nature. And to his credit, I guess I could say, if as long as he was planting a sword squarely into someone's chest, that was something he was good at. He, he wasn't good at literally anything else. But now, mind you, remember, just the act of killing people, not like the any other aspect of war, just the murder part. Yeah, it's like reverse gooning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is a suit of armor other than a knight's goon cave? Yes, exactly. I feel like I'm going to regret telling you what a goon cave is. No one regrets that more than me. (laughs) However, the chance to actually conquer Morocco never really came up because despite Portugal being, you know, a globe-spanning empire, they weren't really known for their land conquest. They weren't really known for like, oh no, the Portuguese army has appeared on the horizon. They were a naval power and a trade power. That was it. However, a chance finally came to Sebastian in 1576. While the Moroccans hated the Portuguese, they were hardly a cohesive unified force. They had political intrigue of their own. Civil war broke out in Morocco when Moulay Abdelhamid, who was the sultan Malay Muhammad's uncle returned from exile in Algeria and overthrew his nephew. So Muhammad, now deposed, fled north and begged for the Portuguese to kind of 
forget about all that war thing and throw their weight behind his claim to the throne. And if they did, he would give them massive tracts of land and promise that any claims to Portuguese-held Africa would cease immediately. And he would kind of promise just become a proxy and a puppet to the Portuguese. Which, of course, is exactly fine. It's perfectly great for Sebastian. And he immediately agreed to this without consulting literally anyone. When his uncle, the king of Spain, was told about his plans to invade Morocco to support Muhammad's claims to the throne, uh, this was ratted out to him by the Spanish ambassador in in Lisbon. Uh, The king of Spain told his nephew, like, yeah, don't do that. Morocco is not worth the trouble. Also, like, you've never done this before. Yeah, kind of know what's in your wheelhouse. And the ambassador knew this, uh, the, the king of Portugal well enough that when he told the king, nothing can be done. The boy is pouting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing can be done. Just let him go kill some people. You know, let him engage in his special interest. He's having a little hissy fit because he can't conquer Northern Africa. Now, the king of Spain decided to not really give a shit because he came to the conclusion, no matter what way this mission goes, it could only benefit Spain. He said, quote, well, if he succeeds, we'll have a fine nephew. And if he fails, we'll have a fine kingdom. <laughs> and this is because he had no claims to the throne. Like, he, uh, uh, the, the King Sebastian, Don Sebastian, had no heirs. Okay, so... So if he failed, like, the king of Spain's like, I'll put another, I'll, like, I'll take the throne over. Yeah, I'll just put someone or I'll sit there myself. I don't know. Fucking let him do it. Exactly. So any way this shook out, it's like, all coming up Spain, baby. Yeah, and it's all coming up Spaniards, bro. It's going to be tapas all night. <laughs> However, the Spanish king warned him, hey, if you're not, if you're, if you're just going to do this anyway, despite what I tell you, at least don't campaign into the middle of Morocco. It's desert. Don't do a war there. A, a recurring theme on this show is don't try and launch a war in a desert because there's one essential resource armies need and it's water and what do deserts not have any of? Uh, may, see, maybe for us, Tom, us, us mere mortals, we're, mm. we're not the, the pure triumphant crusaders of the Portuguese empire mm-hmm. because Sebastian would ignore this bit of advice. All the soldiers are surviving on little custard uh, pies, you know. <laughs> the Portuguese king immediately ran into problems coming up with this invasion force because, like I pointed out, Portugal was not a traditional land power and he didn't have an ar- a large army just laying around to deploy. And he didn't have the money to build one either. <laughs> So he began to tax the living shit out of everything in Portugal, including the church, which is, you know, popular when the church is the main power broker. However, that was still not enough money. Now, at this point, he had literally like ringed out his economy for anything he could tax. Food prices shot up, housing shot up, like land taxes shot up. He literally fucked every single aspect of Portuguese society attempting to build this army. He's just like shaking the cushions on the sofa to try and get some coins out. But the cushion is just all of Lisbon. (laughs) (laughs) The couch of Lisbon. And that still wasn't enough. So he sent Portuguese diplomats 
to uh, like throughout all of the powers of Europe to look for lines of credit so he could take out loans. And they did, but that still wasn't enough. So then the king of Spain decided, yeah, fuck it. I'll, th- I'll give you a couple thousand men and some food and ammo and whatnot, like logistical support. Let's see how this works out. So now he has thoroughly fucked his economy and ran up massive amounts of debt, both in money to all of Europe, but also <laughs> to Spain yeah, like everything else. <laughs> It's like when you, you know, you borrow like 20 quid from your big brother and then like two days later, your like head is on the ground and he's giving you like a nuggie. He's like, where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? Also, a question. What is, like, if any, what is like Portugal's colonial holdings like at this time? They have a fair amount of tracts of land in Africa. They still have Goa in India, a few other things. Um, they, this is a... F- Effectively, the furthest that would ever spread. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, they, for reasons that will become clear at the end of this episode, Portuguese expansion stops. <laughs> <laughs> you could say we are at the zenith of the Portuguese empire. That's right. And anytime you're at the zenith of imperial splendor, there's always one guy involved, and that's a British dude. Um, and he's easily the strangest guy of this entire saga. His name's Thomas Stukeli. Have you ever heard of this guy before? Stukeli was an English mercenary and possibly an illegitimate son to King Henry VIII. Um, and that meant that his family was actually quite rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Stukeli was also a pirate and a criminal, um, as well as being a mercenary. And, you know, in this era, those three things tend to go together. Yeah. And he had been running from the law, both in in England and various other places, and running two different wars, fighting in them. But also, he's he's not great with money. He effectively bankrupted his own family, burning through their money through Europe. He's he's an Englishman on a 20-year-long stag do, but instead of getting drunk and falling into the canals at Amsterdam or doing sex tourism in Spain... He's just doing wars. He's doing like gap year shit, but instead of texting his dad when he's like broke in Bali, he's like, uh, I got into this war. Uh, I don't have enough money to finish it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and he had several warrants for his arrests uh, for piracy specifically. And he was arrested on them from time to time. And he was always acquitted. And I think it's because it wasn't for a lack of evidence. There's plenty of that. Um, it was because of his connections and because it was kind of common knowledge. He was almost certainly the son of, of King Henry VIII. He kind of ruled uh, is what I'm saying. <laughs> is, is this a dude rock moment? I mean, I wouldn't go so far as saying dudes rock because he is effectively a British freebooter. He may have also trade traded slaves. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. And like uh, he, he ruled to the extent that he was so openly committing crimes against pretty much every country in Europe and just kept getting away with them. After Queen Elizabeth I came to power, Stukeli teamed up with Spain to continue being a royal pain in the ass for England. So he was contracted by both the King of Spain and the Pope to slap together an invasion force to, to wait, wait for this, drumroll please, invade Ireland. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Like, you know, us Catholics, we stick together. It, oh, man, what? 
What? I, I was going to say this guy is doing like Ezra Miller shit all over Europe. He's, he's becoming a cryptid. Yeah, like the way Ezra Miller, like they were like running around, kidnapping people, armed to the teeth. The, this guy is just doing that. Yeah, when Ezra Miller was doing their thing, whatever, string of crimes, I, get, I feel comfortable calling it while they were in Hawaii. I was also in Hawaii, and so was friend of the show, Sarah, who they have also co-hosted, and they had their own show um, uh, back in the day. And we used to jokingly text one another like, hey, I made it home. Ezra Miller didn't get me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why, why did they want to invade Ireland? Oh, to, to piss off England, of course. So okay. Yeah, uh, they they were going to bring weapons, ammunition, supplies, and lead a large-scale rebellion against the English. And he brought along a few hundred Italian mercenaries for good measure. Because what if Ireland was invaded by the Italians? Bro, the food would have been so much better. Like, <laughs> we could have had tapas, we could have had Iberico ham, we could have had, like, nice olive oil, good wine... It's 10,000 different kinds of spaghetti. Yeah. And a man that's wearing a scarf in the summer being angry that you called it spaghetti. Yeah. And it also, we wouldn't have had, you know, like four and a half million people die. You know, there's also that. Now, this plan didn't work, obviously, as Tom's existence could tell you. Um, but when this, when this plan got off the ground and his weapons in mid were loaded into boats in Italy to head towards Spain because they were supposed to meet up in Spain and then go to Ireland and invade from there. All hell immediately broke loose. See, Stichelli may have been a prolific pirate, seagoing rascal, if you will. He wasn't very good at it. <laughs> Look, I appreciate the effort. The boats that he chartered to get to Spain barely even floated, and many of them were missing sails. He, he, could, he couldn't afford the sails. He was on a payment plan. He had paid off the actual hull, and, you know, the sails were meant to come next month, but he was on a deadline. He didn't want to disappoint anyone, so now he was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it now. Sails were the, the means of travel, because these were sailboats, Tom. I mean, like, surely you could have got some paddles or something and, like, rode. That is what they ended up having to do, oh, but for fuck's sake. so this journey should have taken two weeks, and it was provisioned for two weeks. Mm. It took two months. <laughs> so they ran out of food and water. Several of his men had to be thrown overboard for mutiny and you know dying of disease. Um, but somehow he was able to avoid being murdered by his own very angry Italian mercenaries, and then landed in Spain and took on supplies. And once there, the uh, the Don Sebastian, our main character, heard about this very well-known English dude showing up on his party boats and said, hey, you know, if you take all this shit to Lisbon, we'll pay you more. <laughs> oh, here's... As it's just like slowly floating into the bay. <laughs> Just playing like the the worst British club music on earth, but everybody is dying from scurvy. Yeah, and all the 1500s uh, Italian sailors are still wearing skin-tight Armani jeans. All the jeans are white. <laughs> the tightest shirts you've ever seen. And they're all slightly shiny. <laughs> How, how did you keep being so shiny? Well, let's see. You see, I just apply olive oil to my skin constantly around the clock. It, it, you, 
Hey, it's me, you know, uh, I'm the Italian guy, the olive oil, it is very good for your skin. It is not, uh, however, how you say, good uh, to eat because we have no food. Yeah, when you are at sea, it is terrible because there is no ho- no women to harass. <laughs> That's how mermaids were invented. Is a whole bu- is a whole bunch of like Italian sailors dying from scurvy and having delusions, sexually harassing a manatee. <laughs> now, Stu Kelly immediately agreed. He's a fucking mercenary, and a pirate. He doesn't give a shit about invading Ireland. He's just like, yeah, chase mm. the bag, baby. You know. No, he agreed. He did not, however, consult literally anybody else, including the <laughs> the king of Spain, the pope, nor any of his other mercenaries. Who was the pope at this time as well? I have no idea. Uh, no, it was Gregory the Eighth. Oh my god, this guy has such an incredible name. Ugo Bonkamgi. Is that a name? That's, that's the noise a Batman villain makes when he gets punched in the face. <laughs> Ugo Bonkam... <laughs> Boncompagni. So Stukeli agreed to all of this because he's a mercenary and a pi- pirate. He doesn't give a shit about invading Ireland. But he agreed to Don Sebastian's terms without consulting or telling anybody, including the king of Spain and the pope. You know, the two people who are actually paying him. But also the Italian mercenaries. Yeah, like, you know, Pope Gregory Thirteenth at the time was also Italian. So it's like... You're pissing off two groups of Italians at once. One is probably the most powerful person in Europe. Now, the good news is, is like the king of Spain and the Pope were both like, well, we're not fucking with the British mm-hmm. or the English, but we are. We're, we're, he is going to go kill Muslims. So we're cool with that. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were they were just like, OK, fine. Just let him go. They even let him keep the money that they originally mm-hmm. paid him. But again, the Italians in the boats actually doing the fighting. We're not consulted. Yeah. So in the end, after taxing his empire to death, getting aid from Spain and kidnapping some Italians via their English mercenary boss, Sebastian managed to put together an army of 17,000 men, the vast majority of whom were pike-wielding peasants. Though I should point out here that the pike was, even for the 1500s, pretty out of date. You know, there's the pike and shot era of warfare where, you know, you'd have pikes, but they'd be supported with arquebuses, muskets, things of that nature. Nah, man. He just has a whole bunch of like hungry dudes with pikes. And for pikes to be used effectively, they require a fair amount of training in both drill and marching things because it's a large body of spears. The only thing that makes them valuable is is a lot of training that makes them a cohesive whole, one solid unit. Sebastian looked at that timetable and said, nah, fuck that, get in the boat. Also, aren't pikes mainly most effective against cavalry? They certainly help. Yeah, like, they very, very famously were used in uh, 1798 in Ireland, um, very effective against cavalry. But uh, also, side note, Pope Gregory XIII, responsible for the Gregorian calendar. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Thanks, Pope Greg. Yeah, thanks, Greg. So with that, a fleet of 500 ships set off from Lisbon on June 24th, my birthday. And you know, one of the things I've always wanted for my birthday was just a pile of corpses. Um, So I guess I finally got it several hundred years before I was born. Mm. And they landed on Morocco's Atlantic coast on July 14th. Upon landing, the various flaws of this army became immediately apparent. Mm -hmm. Now, we've, we've talked about crusader 
slash chivalric armies before Tom. Yeah. What is one thing they always have in common? Uh, they're shit. Yeah. And for one specific reason <laughs> is there's no chain of command. Yeah, that's not really, a, especially when you have like a big boatload of mercenaries as well. Like, and a group of people from literally all over Europe. There's no chain of command. It's just bam, Don Sebastian sitting on top of all of us and then just nothing below him. And no orders were passed down to anyone. Everyone just kind of assumed the next guy would know what to do. And this was made worse by, again, chivalry. The command ideas of this idealized version of crusader-esque military glory leading from the front as a knight and everyone else would follow me. Oh, God. Anyone who was like, hey, maybe you should have like a second command, uh, Don Sebastian, some like maybe we should split these guys up into bodies of troops with independent commanders. He would just whoever suggested that would immediately get shouted down by a storm of insults by the king and all the sycophant like nobility with him. Like, how dare you in, uh, insult my honor by saying I need to pass orders to a secondary commander? That sounds like some dumb shit. I'm just gonna run directly at them, and all of you keep up. Don't you dare tell my troops not to stare directly at the sun every day. You all know that the sun sharpens your eyesight. I will not hear any of this. And if you stare directly into the sun, it makes the heat not affect you so badly. Yeah, it actually, you don't need to drink water if you stare into the sun for long enough. Because like Superman, you can be powered by UV rays. (laughs) I feel like... If, if you frame this the right way, you could pair this with that weird woo-woo grounding shit where people are like, oh man, I just stand barefoot on the grass and it imbues me with energy. Or the dudes who sun their butthole. But you're not supposed to do that? No. Oh. Well, gonna- good thing I live in the Netherlands. I'm dying from the lack of butthole sun. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to die of butthole melanoma. <laughs> Mr. Kasabian, we regret to inform you you've had to remove your asshole due to all the cancerous cells. <laughs> 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 they they just like I don't know. You'd now have to shit out your penis. It's just evolution. <laughs> it's it's efficient. It's, it's one hole for everything. That's right. Humans were not meant to have as this God many in, holes. As God intended. <laughs> yeah. If you're not, it's it's 2024. If you're not shitting out of your dick, you need to get on it. Yeah. Yep. Sun your butthole until you get melanoma. Get your butthole removed. Shit out your dick. It's 2024, people. Get on it. Well, this episode's going well. (laughs) (laughs) We're probably like, what, halfway through the script? Now, this is also around when everybody was just like, you know, trying to talk to the soldier next to him and realizing nobody spoke the same language. Mark it on your bingo cards, people. (laughs) Same shit (laughs) happens all the time. Can't speak to the person beside you. No water. No chain of command. A dickhead leading you. Yep. Not enough sun on your butthole. Not enough sun on your butthole. The army was made up of Germans, Walloonians, the Flemish, Spaniards, Portuguese, the Italians, a couple of Brits washed up in here. Like, very few people were able to speak to one another, mostly the nobility, because they had like a common language amongst them. And also, you know, 
education. Most other people just didn't. So they had to play an army-wide game of telephone through the handful of people that could speak two or maybe three of the languages within its ranks, translate it to another guy who could speak a couple of other ones, and hope nothing was lost in the translation. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible amuse-bouche of Europeans. <laughs> it's the worst kind of amuse-bouche. <laughs> <laughs> so without any orders or anything to do, the men just kind of camped on the beach while the king held a war council. Sebastian decided to ignore all the previous warnings from the Spanish king about invading into the country inland, deciding that was exactly what he was going to do, while Stukeli, a you know roundabout piece of shit and criminal, but... Hardened war veteran point out that was a really bad idea. Mm. Uh, like he was like, we didn't bring any water. And li- like, look, this guy, this guy might have lost every uh, battle he fought, but at least he fought in a few of them, and he survived them. Yeah. So, like, if anybody knows how to get out of a battlefield alive, maybe not victorious, maybe not victorious, but alive, it would be the random British pirate mercenary. Yeah, he's stupid like a fox. Exactly. Uh, and everybody just shouted him down and called him a coward. He's like, oh, you can't, you need fucking water. You ain't got any bottles of water. <laughs> How else am I? And Jeremy was like, oh, what is with this Englishman? We do not have any bottles of water. I returned all mine to the recycling machine to get my 50 cents back. What is with this Englishman? He just keeps trying to give all of our water to his strangely large dog. He's like, I do not need water, I have my wine. The army left camp on July 29th, accompanied by thousands of camp followers. Now, we've talked about camp followers before countless times on the show. These are the people that make armies move. Cobblers, you know, grocers, foragers, whatever. But there was more camp followers than there were soldiers. And these included, like, they just randomly were collecting slaves as they went. They picked up, like, a small army of sex workers and priests. I assume they lived together. Um, What what (laughs) army doesn't need a cohort of sex workers and priests? And not to mention, like, the soldiers just brought their wives and kids with them, too. It's like a package holiday to one of those, like, (laughs) you know, center parks or, like, Butlins. Yeah, it's uh, all inclusive, but like uh, you know, instead of getting like a shitty T-shirt and a lanyard to go with like your endless drink menu, they give you a pike and dysentery. I mean, like, look, if there were real crusaders, they would have picked up about twenty wives along the way and left the original one at home. And that was probably their intention, to be completely honest. But because of the complete lack of command and control, nobody seemed to pay any attention to provisioning the army. From the second they stepped out of camp, they were short of food and water because unless you you individually, you Tom, uh, random Italian Tom mercenary. It's me, any- Italian Tom. <laughs> it's me, Tommaso. Uh- <laughs> Toma- hey, it's a me, Tommaso Tomato. <laughs> I cook at the pasta, I drink at the wine, I go to Morocco to fight. You get some bad news. No pasta, no wine, no olive oil. Fuck. Because I- unless individual soldiers, or if you were a noble, like your attendants or whatever, thought to pack the food and water that you would need, there was none. There was no central provisioning of any kind. You're just there getting ready to go off for this war, and you're like packing everything. It's like, okay, I got my suit of armor, got my sword, my helmet, family's coming with me. Okay, how many pairs of underpants do I need? Okay, so if I work this out, this is probably going to take about like 30 days to complete. Um, if I shit myself every day, 
I will just need one because like I'll just wa- take them off, wash them in whatever if I have water, I'll just wash them. It's hot so they'll just dry. I just need one. And look, if I keep shitting in them, then it will eventually crust and form like an extra layer of armor around my dick and balls. Well, that's how Kevlar was invented. <laughs> See, I I would outfit my army so they didn't wear pants or underwear, just dick and balls flapping in the wind. That way, they everybody's gonna have diarrhea. As we've often said, you cannot go camping with thousands of your of your homies in the woods or the desert without shitting fiery liquid endlessly until you die. So if you're not wearing pants or armor, it's just a free flow. Just let it go. I mean, it's better for hygiene. Yeah, this is why, you know, uh, the Romans never really conquered Scotland because the Picts were running around with their dicks flapping in the wind, covered in war paint, and Julius Caesar got there and he's like, do you know what? Let's just build a wall here. You know, when people back then did that, it was considered counterinsurgency, insurgency, liberation movements. When I do it now, I'm just considered a public nuisance. <laughs> Why can't I wear war paint and run around nude? I know, what the fuck? The woke left have gone too far. <laughs> the, the woke left have made me wear pants. Now, they have no food and water. And from the second they stepped out of camp, people were immediately hungry, thirsty, it was bad. Their stomach uh, hurt. God inflicted his, his toughest warriors with the hardest tummy ache. Now, there may have not been wagon space for you know food or water because nobody planned it. There, were, there was, however, a thousand wagons loaded to the gills with furniture, ceremonial vestments, and silver place settings for dinner for the food that they didn't have, you see. It's just like they're scraping the place. Like, mm, this is so nice. Just piling up sand on top of it. <laughs> there's Delicious. One guy, <laughs> there's one guy trying to eat the silver plate. <laughs> now, at this point, Malay Muhammad, the proxy king that they were going to foist upon the throne, joined the army with about another 6,000 men during their march, which is going painfully slow due to all of the problems. We were, oh, and they kept getting lost. Um, like... Soldiers are already dropping out from the heat stroke and and thirst. You're you're moving towards the equator. L- you're staring at the sun every day. Just literally, like if you can't orientate yourself to go south, it, like just by looking at the sun, and you're in the in an army at this point in time, you should not be there. Yeah, I mean, at any point that like. Hey, there's a thousand wagons. Good thing I can go get some like shitty bread and stale water from it. Like, oh, nope, this one's just full of fancy underwear for the king or whatever. You know, <laughs> It's like people who spend all their money on like stupid shit and then realize, oh, I haven't bought any food this month. We call that hood rich. <laughs> 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 I, re- I remember growing up, uh, my neighbor, uh, another, you know, fine white trash family like my own had a, uh, a very expensive, very expensive car. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the power in their house was already, always off. <laughs> was it a Lexus? Uh, I think it was an Audi. Which, oh, you know, gee, oh, an Audi at that time as well in the US? Fuck. And I'm pretty sh- I mean, I'm sure it was like a lease. Like it wasn't like an, you didn't have like a bad loan on it or anything. He was probably paying a, a horrific lease rate on it. And, you know, I went to school with um, one of the kids in the house and it was their brother's car. The brother was like, dad was in prison or, or whatever. I don't remember. 
but they're like, yeah, um, my my brother spends all of the money on uh, on the on the payments for the car and everything, and washing it two times a day. What? Yeah. What? Um, and uh, that's where I that's where I I heard him tell me the term like, yeah, we're fucking hood rich, and I was like, what the fuck does hood rich mean? This is like we have a really nice car, but I didn't eat breakfast this morning. <laughs> that's uh, that's some Louis the Sixteenth like expenditure. Yeah, I mean, the man had his priorities. They were just stupid. Yeah. I mean, just because you have your priorities doesn't mean your priorities are correct. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> so you know, you nobody can talk to one another. There's no food or water outside of the nobles, and they're moving so slowly that Moroccan forces under Abdel Malik. Watched the army the entire time as they advanced towards the scene of the battle, Kassar al Kabir. By, by August 3rd, the army had been marching for three days and stopped for another war council. Muhammad said that he had spies within Abdul Malik's camp, and they were telling him he was desperately ill, verging on death. So Muhammad said, Let's just wait. He'll die. And then, you know, if the army still fights, they won't have a leader, but most likely they'll just surrender to me because now I'm king. Stu Kelly, being the underhanded dipshit survivor that he is, is like, that sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. I'm getting strong car hay vibes off this. <laughs> now, Don Sebastian was just like, that sounds like some pussy shit. We're, we have to charge directly, blindly towards the enemy without even bothering to scout anything ahead of time because my honor demands it. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much what his battle plan was. And like Stu Kelly and, and Muhammad were looking at one another like, I think this guy might be stupid. Yeah, sounds like it. They were both shouted down for being cowards. They were ignored. Uh, and the king plotted his tactic the next day, which is literally what I just said. An open, full charge by first light, picking the area of advance, not for any kind of tactical importance, but because... Quote, a beautiful cavalry charge and high feats of arms could be seen from there. For fuck's sake. These people are so stupid. And then, as they marched into the scene of battle, now, nor- like, large baggage trains and camp followers are things that followed armies for a very, very long time in history. However, you leave them behind before battle starts. Yeah, you don't really need, like, a carpenter or a priest during battle. This isn't, like, D&D. <laughs> The Warhammer 40k uh, formation of sex workers. Yeah, like, they're doing, like, Baldur's Gate 3 shit on the battlefield. Just a priest casting healing spells, (laughs) throwing holy water bombs. Sebastian decided not to do this. He brought his entire personal baggage train, as well as the entire gaggle of camp followers, along with him for the advance, which required the entire peasant section of the army to be formed up, like, in a circle around his gilded wagons to act as an escort. But there were so many wagons that it actually stretched his army thin trying to protect them all. Because there's a thousand fucking wagons. Do you know, do you know what, what's a really good both offensive and defensive formation? A good square or a triangle. Do you know what's not a good offensive or defensive formation? Very thin circle. Especially around something that's not important like my wagons full of sick plates. Mm. Maybe like if it was ammo, sure. But even then you're supposed to set up a system to get the ammo from the baggage train to the front, not just bring the baggage train with you. So it could say be attacked directly, perhaps. 
Now, somewhat hilariously at this point, Stu Kelly realized that I have gotten myself into a problem. My Italians fucking hate me. Um, I have kidnapped them and thrown them into Morocco. And now all they do is get drunk and try to fight one another while also calling me swear words and, and you know, making Italian hand gestures. And, so some things never change. Yeah. And they were unhappy. And he was mostly worried at the first sign of battle, they would do what most Italian armies do, switch sides. <laughs> so he broke them up into small groups and spread them throughout Spanish units to, like, break up their cohesive anger. Mm, he's doing, like, you know... 1500s English racism was like, oh, you can't tell the Italians and the Spaniards apart. I mean, he was right in that, like, I'd be fucking pissed too. There's no reason to believe his Italians were going to be like, yeah, I, I know we were promised, like, glory and riches to invade Ireland and whatnot. And, you know, now we're in the fucking desert. Um, and we're all very thirsty and sunburnt and we're very unhappy. Like, I'm going to kill you the first chance I get. Yeah. Um, there's also the small problem that the European soldiers, the vast majority of the soldiers involved, were exhausted. They were wearing metal scale and plate armor in the burning North African sun, all while barely getting any water. Combine that with having to march three days over broken mountainous terrain in order to get to the battlefield, they were dropping like flies from heat stroke and exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Many soldiers were throwing away their armor, supplies, and even their weapons just so they would be able to have the energy to keep walking. Mm. I guess they forgot where they were walking to. They might need those <laughs> weapons. Then their artillery wagon train began to break down. They had been built for the roads of Europe. As much as roads existed in Europe at the time, they're at least smooth going. Mm. Not the mountains of Morocco. Their crews tried to repair them, but alas, they didn't have the supplies to do that because, again, nobody thought to bring them. Yeah, not good. So they just abandoned like 99% of their artillery. They, their wheels busted like, ah, fuck it, we don't need it. I, I'm going to ask now before the battle starts. I feel like this is not going to be a crucial and catastrophic mistake. It's hard to rank on where this one falls. <laughs> In the litany of mistakes of this campaign. <laughs> Before the battle has even started, yeah. I, I would go on to say right now, the worst thing they did was invade Morocco with no water. Yeah, it's like it, you're just looking around the camp. It's like, look, I don't want to point any fingers, but it seems like we've made a series of mistakes along the way. And what I really need right now is for... So some people to take accountability for where those mistakes were made. So what we're going to do is we're all going to sit in a circle and we're all going to talk about what we did over the past couple of weeks. And we're going to try and really hash this out of how we got into this situation where we have no artillery. Portuguese struggle session. Yeah, we've no artillery. Uh, all the soldiers surrounding these gilded, you know, uh, carts that are, you know, transporting silverware. I'm not blaming blaming anyone and i'm not naming names but if anyone has made a mistake i would appreciate if you owned up to it see i disagree they need to go the full japanese red army route and just start <laughs> beating each other upside the head with pipes <laughs> see this is you know i was trying to be diplomatic here <laughs> so on august 4th sebastian would get the battle he was looking for but before we get there let's talk about abdul malik's army while the europeans thought the moroccans were this might surprise you Backward savages. I know, the so much for European progressivism, am I right? Yeah, um, shocker. They had actually developed themselves into a more advanced force than the Portuguese army had. 
Abdelmalik had spent years with the Ottoman Empire and worked with their military. And through them, he was like, you know what's really good? Professional soldiers. So he established a system of recruitment, training, and retention of soldiers who'd get paid a decent salary for their service, as well as benefits at the end of their term. This core of well-trained, well-supplied, well-led, and well-organized soldiers would then be supported by a tribal levy system in times of emergency. The core of this force would look and act pretty much the same as a European army, musket-armed line infantry supported by cannons with cavalry watching their flanks. They had developed a solid chain of command and a rock-solid logistical system made up of thousands upon thousands of draft animals that would ferry all of the supplies that they would need right to their feet. And by the day of the battle, Abdul-Malik had recovered from his sickness and was able to retake command of his army. Ooh, here we go. Abdul-Malik and Sebastian's forces met at Al-Khazar in the open, their formations lining up against one another. Pretty much immediately, the Europeans ran into problems. Arrayed in a line formation, slugging out with cannons and muskets, they quickly came to the realization that the Moroccans were better at this than they were. And, that, <laughs> and also, they were staring directly into the sun. This is why they were so well-trained at staring into the sun. I'm telling you, I said it earlier on, I didn't know this was coming up. You stare into the sun, it makes you better at battle. One of, the, one of the key parts of the, the Moroccan army's basic training was just making people stand out in the desert and stare at the sun for six hours a day. Many people don't know this. <laughs> yes, yes. Many people don't know this. So, like, the sun is in their eyes. They barely have any artillery. And, uh, so, and, they, the, and because the sun's in their eyes, they can't even see the enemy, really. Like, the full array of where they're standing. There's also the small problem at this point that this is when Sebastian discovered he had no artillery. Not a second before. Oh, fuck. So he was like, he was sitting around his like other nobles. He's like, why aren't our cannons firing? And someone had to be like, well, Don Sebastian, we don't fucking have any anymore. They all broke down. He's like, all right, great. Uh, Oh, shit. So he sent in his pikemen and human wave attacks, which would be common. I mean, now at the time, muskets or arquebuses of the day would take so long to reload that it left a gap. For the pikemen to run into battle and stab open gaps in the enemy line. That is pike and shot warfare, right? And through this, the two sides became locked in mortal hand-to-hand combat as, you know, their musketeers tried to rapidly reload so they could shoot some Spanish guy at close range. And that is when the nobles saw a horrific flaw in Sebastian's deployment. Because of where he had placed the pikemen in regards to their formation of of the, their entire army, like where the pikemen fell, ordering them into battle had opened a gigantic yawning gap in their own line, exposing the center, which is where all of the wagons and camp followers were. I thought this is the point where, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn and Raiden like fly in and start having Mortal Kombat. That's right. Yeah. Scorpion is going to impale someone. For people who... You did imagine something in your head. Think of this. Think of the Portuguese formation as a giant box. Okay. Right. He had taken one whole side of it and just torn it away. <laughs> Rotate a box-shaped uh, army formation in your head. Now imagine taking one side away and keep rotating it, and then never bothering to fill in the gaps. And you know, the, there's no way to recall forces once you've sent them in the battle. There's no chain of command. Nobody speaks the same fucking language. 
So the only thing anybody could hope for was their largely untrained pikemen and their mercenary allies would be able to punch through the enemy center and win the battle fast enough so maybe the Moroccans didn't realize that they had fucked themselves. And at first, they actually were doing that. The forward units of the European army had gotten close to Abdul Malik's command center. They had fought through a huge mass of Moroccan soldiers to the point that Abdul Malik's personal command tent had come under musket fire. (laughs) But then they ground down to nothing. They'd become overextended. They were tired and they were bogged down in an ocean of corpses on either side. Now they were tired, you know, Killing people and masses of thousands is a pretty exhausting effort to do, but now they were overstretched and outnumbered as Abdul Malik sent in his reserves to plug the holes in his line. Reserves that the Europeans didn't know they had because they had the sun in the eyes and couldn't see them. And also because Don Sebastian never thought it was that important to scout ahead. Another problem was that European units saw this happening but couldn't communicate with one another different units, different leaders, whatever, be like, oh, dear God, they're coming for our flanks, like organize a formation. They just couldn't fucking organize or talk to one another. So they just watched in slow motion as the Moroccans like peeled around them to start killing them all without working together. I mean, there was a like small groups of like based on nationality were clumped together and fighting really, really well. But as an organized whole, the army was fucked yeah, Jesus, this is not going well. Then Abdul Malik sent in his cavalry. Hundreds of horsemen stormed in and smashed against the extended European line, rolling their flanks up as pikemen tried uselessly to try to like wheel around and stab at them. But th- they have no f- organization to do so. Like one guy with a pike is meaningless. A hundred dudes with a pike standing in a line. But even then, the European line held fighting forward to the point that Abdul Malik only had one last thing he could do in order to finally break them. Giving a rousing speech. Oh, fuck off. We're not, telling, having, spe- we're not having speech and drama class in the middle of a battle. He told his men, we must fight. We must continue to fight because God is watching. He, he unsheathed his sword, climbed off of his horse, and then keeled over dead. <laughs> It turns out he wasn't fully recovered from being sick after all. (laughs) Now, acting quickly, his aides pulled his body back into his command tent so nobody knew that he was dead. Mm. Of like, we we can't let word get around this motherfucker's dead. Everybody will drop their swords and run, right? Imagine making such a good speech it kills you. Yeah, that's it. The the ultimate mic drop moment is dying on stage. Yep. Now, this seemed to work outside of the immediate uh, like aides and assistants and whatnot that saw him. This like panic of, of the king being dead didn't trickle through the lines and they killed their way forward as European forces slowly wore themselves down further and further. Sebastian, if he was a military leader, not a self-imagined crusading hero, may have tried to save his command from destruction and his army by ordering them back and maybe reform or just pull full out withdraw. But he didn't. He abandoned any kind of command responsibility he had altogether, charging forward with all of his closest advisors directly into the already lost battle as absolutely everything broke down into murderous chaos. How's, uh, how, how's Stokely going on? He was singled out by his Italian mercenaries, drugged down to the ground, and beaten to death. <laughs> Do you know what? Look, fitting end. 
Now, while Stukeli was dying, Abdelmelik keeled over from sickness. Sebastian was hacking and slashing his way forward. And by all accounts, like I said, he's a good soldier. Mm-hmm. He's very capable at murdering people. Yeah, he, he, loves, is, he loves murdering. Like, this is yeah. his thing. There I go, kill him again. It's his favorite thing to do. His horse is shot out from under him. He keeps fighting on foot. And then he vanishes. Um, nobody is sure how he dies, but he is murdered at some point in this battle. As the Moroccan cavalry was able to charge forward without anything to stop them, they poured themselves into what was left of the European line. Conscripts, priests, sex workers, cobblers, tailors all found themselves getting butchered as they tried to run, fight, or surrender in small groups. What order that had previously existed broke down entirely, and each man of the European army was left to fight on their own or in small national fractured groups. Some men jabbed spears into the ground, creating a small circle of protection away from the Moroccan cavalry, and then would jump out and drag the Moroccan cavalrymen from their saddles when they got too close and stabbing them to death on the ground. (laughs) Who said pikes weren't effective? Also, I should point out here, they were unable to tell which Moroccan cavalry they were murdering. Because <laughs> remember, Muhammad is also on their side with his own Moroccan kid. They just see a brown guy, they're going to try to murder him. Yeah. Um, and then the ones that weren't doing that were dropping dead from heat stroke because the fighting had gone on for hours at this point. One man said, quote, surrounded from all sides without powder or ammunition from which to fight, the powder lacking from having been burnt through the battle by their own soldiers. If there had been any to this fire, it would have been used against their own number with the intent of stealing the wagons and the multitude of cruel fugitives fled the enemy with such haste that they fell over one another and overwhelmed by the enemy cavalry. It was piteous to see so many suffocate to the extent that the troops were in heaps piled the sheaves of wheat at the harvest, one on top of the other. Muhammad had managed to survive at least so far. He had broken from the field, running with a few survivors on horseback, when it became clear that the battle was lost. Then, while running, he tried to cross a river, fell off his horse, and was swept away, dying. (laughs) Why, Why is everyone dying in the most embarrassing ways in this battle? And thus, the last king of the Battle of the Three Kings was dead. Oh, God. And also, one bonus pirate. This is so funny. Like, honestly, like, once it, like, this is very much a classic case of there were so many points where they could have stopped and realized this is a bad idea. And I just, I'm wondering about the kind of confusion that existed at the end of the battle. No one left in command. All the kings are dead. <laughs> it's yep. like, I guess, I guess we just go home, boys. Yep. Yep. Morocco will just have to figure itself out after this. <laughs> yeah. In the end, at least 10,000 Europeans were dead and several thousand captured and put in chains. Anybody worth the shit, mostly nobles, were ransomed back to Europe and anybody else would be sold into slavery. What was more important than the casualties on the field was the loss of the nobles to Portugal. Sebastian had no wife because he was an asshole and thus had no heir. Then his uncle, Henry I, took over, but he was a cardinal of the Catholic Church. So he also had no heirs and died two years after that. This ended the family's dynasty, which had been in power for hundreds of years. He had bankrupted his empire to fund his venture, and now he had killed the only army the empire had, ending the age of Portuguese expansion, his family line, and then 
gripping the country with a secession crisis that would end with the Spanish king unifying the Iberian Peninsula in a personal union under Spanish domination. You know, sometimes you fuck up, and then sometimes you fuck up on this level. It's literally a a historical fuck-up that can still be felt in politics. Now, on, on the end, a funny note. The death of Sebastian, his body mangled and hardly able to be recognized afterwards, led to something called Sebastianism. Oh God, what's this now? He wasn't actually dead, and he would one day return to reclaim the throne of the dying Portuguese empire, restoring them to greatness. This also eventually took on a weird quasi-religious tone as people claimed that this was foretold in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelations. This led to a ton of people over the years claiming that they were him. In one case, as a random Italian guy, you couldn't even speak Portuguese, which king shit. I mean, like, if you can make that hustle work, good for you. Yeah, I mean, like, get it where you can. This idiot idea survived on the fringes for hundreds of years after his death. But it turned out Sebastian was, in fact, very, very dead. The end. <laughs> a fitting end to an absolute freak. I mean, like, you gotta give credit where credit's due. If you're going to fail, fail so hard that nobody can ever forget your failure. Yep. That's honestly just breathtakingly stupid. <laughs> yeah. In a battle with three kings, zero came out victorious. Hey, that's, th- that's a kind of battle I can support. Yeah, that's a turn up for the books for me. Now, Tom, we do a thing on the show called Questions from the Legion. If you'd like to ask us a question from the Legion, you can write into the show on Patreon. Send us a DM on Discord or attach it to an Italian invade Morocco with it, and we will answer it on the show. Today's question from the Legion is, what is your favorite fast food restaurant? Oh, I love fast food. So uh, I'm assuming this means like a chain, not like a donor stand or something. Because it's also fast food. Yeah, like I, I have it in kind of like orders. So it's like... Five Guys is not the same as McDonald's. It's like, can we consider it fast food if it doesn't have a drive-thru window? Does Five, does five Guys have a drive-thru window? Most These places don't, don't have drive-thru in Europe. Oh, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. I don't uh, know. We we'll let people vote on that one. Yeah. Uh, like, Five Guys, I am very partial to Taco Bell. I will say that. It mm, absolutely mm-hmm. destroys my stomach, but I will still as eat. As is designed. I will still eat like 20 quid of Taco Bell when I'm drunk and just be enamored with um ooh like a good Chinese as well nice beef chow mein can we consider that fast food well it is like like fast food is more so like takeaway so it's like stuff you can order like yes there are restaurants that like you can order from but like your average like high street Chinese is fast food Mm, okay, I can accept that. The listeners might not be so forgiving because technically anything can be takeout these days. Yeah, I know, but like we're we're co- I'm coming at it from a different cultural lens. Okay, fast food, you know, the you- incorrect one. <laughs> ah, fuck off. Uh, what's yours? Um, I have to agree on the Taco Bell front. Um, because when I step through the threshold of a fast food establishment, mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing to myself. Yeah. There's no need to turn down a Taco Bell, uh, you know, menu because it's going to fuck up my insides. I know it's going to fuck up my insides. All fast food will fuck up my... You should see what KFC does to me. Oh, I love KFC. KFC in the UK slaps. 
KFC pretty much anywhere outside the U.S. is better than the American one I've discovered. Um, I would put Taco Bell number one for the pinnacle of shitty drunk food. That is guaranteed to make your hangover worse. Um, because if your hangover wasn't bad enough, you now have diarrhea. Um, number two, KFC. Um, are you, are you th- boneless or bone in? Boneless. King. I need to shovel food into my face and I don't need to be slowed down by bones. With or with, without gravy? With. And, you know, uh, if I was going to pick a more regional um, fast food place, it would have to be Bush's Chicken, uh, which is like just KFC, but much better. But okay. I don't know where those exist outside of like, I've only ever been to one in like Kentucky. Mm. Uh, oddly enough, I know. Um, and then third, I'm going to have to go with Whataburger. Fair. Yeah. All of them bad. Like, I, I would never pick those as a meal. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what is a fast food that I would pick as a meal and I do eat it regularly enough because I really enjoy it is Domino's. And I know that probably sounds disgusting to US listeners, but Domino's in the UK and in Ireland and in general in Europe is decent. And the thing is, is that it's always consistent. It's always the same quality. <laughs> I will meet your disgusting choice of chain pizza with my own. Papa John's. I know it's disgusting. I know it's horrible. However, that's what I'm looking for. Like, what, you know, occasionally you want to order something like horrible and greasy that's going to like, mm. it's going to fuck you up, but you just want it. Yeah. Papa John's is my go-to chain pizza restaurant for that. And I recently ordered some in the Netherlands um, and it was so bad like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't even enjoyable bad it was just disgusting and i didn't even finish it yeah um, when we go to ireland again so there is a fast food chain in ireland called supermax it's like chicken pizza but it is incredible like it's so good but now they have done like uh done the whole combination taco bell and pizza hut thing Ah, uh, yes. The the Yum Brands building. With almost every Supermax in Ireland, there is also a Papa John's. Ugh. Uh, see, I could, uh, Papa John's sucks. Um, I know it's not good, but uh, the, the, nothing we listed is good. Yeah. That's I, the point. I would argue Domino's is good. And, fi- nah. and Five Guys is good. Maybe where you live. I don't know. Maybe where you live. Anyway, that is our show. Uh, Tom, plug your other show. Uh, Beneath Skin, show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. If you love horrible or in other, in my opinion, cool 90s tribal stuff, we did an episode about that. As the time of recording, it's out for free. Check that out if you want to get a big tribal sleeve like many people have in the past year. Are they coming back? Oh, it's already back. It's already on the way out. Ugh. And this is the only show that I do. But if you like what we do here, consider supporting us on Patreon. It makes everything we do here possible. Just a dollar gets you years of bonus content, Discord access, all kinds of other stuff. Donate more. You get more bonus episodes. You get stickers. You get all kinds of stuff. I encourage you to go check it out and leave us a review on wherever it is you listen to podcasts. It helps us immensely. Until next time, don't invade Morocco.